Hi, everyone. I'm Charlie Boyd, and welcome to the Jesus on Display podcast. Before we begin today's content, I wanted just to say thanks for supporting us here at Fellowship Greenville with your gifts and generosity. Because of your giving, we get to share resources like this podcast with you to help reach you wherever you are in your life with Jesus. If you'd like to support the ministry of Fellowship Greenville, you can head to fellowshipgreenville.org forward slash give to get started. Thanks so much for your support, and we hope you enjoy today's episode. Somehow, Jesus never compromised the truth of God's word, but at the same time, unchurched, unbelieving, broken, immoral people were drawn to him. And the Pharisees are grumbling about all this. They're going, why does this man who claims to be from God, why does he spend so much time with such ungodly people? He likes them, they like him. What is up with that? And to answer that question, Jesus tells three stories. Verse three, so he told them this parable. What man among you, having a 100 sheep, if he lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after that one that's lost until he finds it? Now, when he asked that question, all the men in the crowd would shake their head and go, yeah, that's right, that's right. If you got 100 sheep and you lose one, you, you leave the 99 and you go look for that one that's lost, which illustrates a simple principle, and that is when something is lost to you, that lost thing becomes the focus of your attention, right? I mean, when you lose something, that thing becomes the focus of your attention. Not that you don't care about the other 99 sheep. Of course you care about them. But the focus of your attention is on finding what's lost. How many of you go crazy when you lose your car keys? Yeah. How many of you lose your mind when you lose the remote? (laughs) Oh, you're just lying to me out here. There should be scores of hands going up. How about when you lose your phone? Oh, yeah, okay, now we got some hands going up, all right. So, yeah, even though you have another set of car keys in the drawer somewhere, even though you might have another remote that work in a bedroom that works in the living room or whatever, and even though, well, the phone is different, isn't it? But my point is, when you lose something that's valuable to you, it doesn't matter how much other stuff you have. The focus of your attention is that you are desperate to find that lost thing. How many of you have ever lost your passports? When Karen and I were on our trip to Europe visiting missionaries, I lost our passports. I thought I was gonna have a heart attack and a mental breakdown all at the same time. But that's a story for another time. I hear you, well I thought our pastor was a man of faith. Well, I am a man of faith, but my faith was really tested The good news is that we got them back just in time, which was truly a miracle, but that's a story for another time. Okay, but again, the point is, when you lose something that's valuable to you, it becomes the focus of your attention. And Jesus is saying, you wanna know why I'm spending all my time with tax collectors and sinners? It's because from God's perspective, they're lost. It's because it's just like a shepherd will chase down that one lost lamb that's gone astray. Jesus says, I've come into the world to seek and save those who, from the Father's perspective, are lost. He goes on in verse five and he says, and when the man, the shepherd finds that, that one lost lamb, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing, and he goes home and calls his friends and neighbors and says, rejoice with me, I found my sheep that was lost. 
And in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. He's saying, you wanna know what excites the heart of your heavenly father? You go looking for that one lost person who, who doesn't believe, who used to believe, who doesn't know what to believe, is too ashamed to believe, who is so confused and angry with God, they don't want to believe. Jesus says, you find a person like that, and when a person like that puts their faith in Christ, heaven throws a party. And he says, that's why I say and do all that I do because I'm focused on relating to and connecting with outsiders, with people who are far from God, with people who can't relate or connect with religious insiders. And now plus the fact he's saying I wanna keep the party going on. Now he tells a second story that's a lot like the first one but he talks to the women in the crowd which you just didn't do in that day. Verse eight, or what woman having sent 10 silver coins, and by the way, this was a part of her dowry. A father would give his daughter 10 coins and she would link them together into a headdress to show prospective husbands what they would get from the father if they were interested in her, at the bride price, so to speak. And if she lost one of those coins, no way is she gonna go outside with a headdress of nine coins because it would be embarrassing to her and bring shame on her family, verse eight, or what woman having 10 silver coins, if she loses one coin, does she not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she's found it, she calls together all of her friends and neighbors and says, come rejoice with me. I found the coin that I lost. And in the same way, I tell you, there's joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Same point. The focus of the woman's attention is not on the nine coins that she has, but on the one that she lost. And Jesus says, in the same way that a woman will search and search and search for her lost coin in the same way your heavenly father is on a search and rescue mission. And Jesus is saying, he sent me to lead that search and rescue mission. And Jesus says, is saying, I'm searching for the one, for the two, for all of those who are lost. And when the lost get found, oh man, heaven throws a party. Isn't that good? When the lost are found, heaven throws a party. That means every time somebody walks through these doors and hears the gospel of grace and turns from sin and turns from a religion of rules and rituals and trusts Christ alone by faith alone, it means that heaven throws a party. Every time one of our children, every time one of our students believes and is baptized, heaven throws a party. Every time someone from fellowship goes on a short-term mission trip to be the hands and feet and voice of Jesus, somewhere in our community or in our country or goes to another country. Every time you invest your time and money in missions or missionaries or mission agencies and someone trusts Christ for salvation through one of those search and rescue missions, heaven throws a party because what was lost is found. Don't you wanna keep the party going? Now, in the first two stories, Jesus talked about things, sheep and shekels, things that were physically lost. Of course, clearly, verse 7 and 10, he's, when he says heaven throws a party for one sinner, he's talking about people. But it's not till we get to the third parable, the third story, that where he really defines exactly what lost means. 
Lost people are those who are relationally disconnected from their heavenly father. They are relationally disconnected from their heavenly father. And again, this becomes very clear in the third story. And for time's sake, I'm gonna summarize most of it because I'm just pulling out one big idea from all three stories. Third story is about a father and son. Son goes to his dad, and this is what he says. Dad, I wish you were dead. Verse 12, father, give me my share of the inheritance. He's saying, when you die, I'll get half your stuff, so I wish you'd just go ahead and die so I can get half my stuff now, which is so ungrateful and disrespectful. I mean, everyone in Jesus' audience, just like us, we'd be like, no, 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 he, he, he did not say that, did he? Yes, he did. And the father does a strange thing. He says, okay, son, we'll pretend like I'm dead. I'll go ahead and give you half of everything that's mine uh, that would one day be yours. Just go ahead and take it now. It's yours. Now, can you imagine anybody you know telling you that story? Hey, Bob, you know, I got a funny story here to tell you. Uh, my 17-year-old son came in last night, and he told me I wished, he wished I was dead, and he demanded I give him part of his inheritance now. And so I said, okay, son, here you go. Uh, 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 I mean, I mean you, you want to sign this guy up for a parenting class, right? I mean, nobody does that. That's exactly what the father in Jesus' story does. So the son takes half the father's stuff, hits the road, goes to a city, buys himself a big condo, and starts hanging out with people who, uh, with, uh, who a bunch of friends who aren't really his friends, and he parties away all the money. His dad knows about it. His older brother knows about it. Whole family knows about it. Whole community knows about it and they are shock-rocked. But the boy's life doesn't play out like he hoped. There's a famine in the land, and he hits rock bottom. He ends up having to go work on a pig farm, and all the Jewish people in that audience are going, oh, man, that is so disgusting. And finally, the son comes to his senses, verse 17. He decides to go back to his father, and he puts together a little speech that goes something like this. Dad, I'm, I'm so sorry. I know I don't deserve to be your son, but if you would just let me be one of your hired servants, that's all I ask. Just let me work my way back into your favor. Verse 20, and he arose and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. Again, the people, the men in the crowd are going, they're cringing, but filled with compassion, to have compassion on a son like this? father ran and embraced him and blessed him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. That confession was all he needed to experience, all he needed to experience God's grace, his father's grace. And the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring that fat calf and let's kill it and let's have a barbecue and let's celebrate, let's party. For my son was dead and now he's alive. He was lost, but now he's found and they began to celebrate. Now stop right there. If you are here this morning and you don't know where you stand with God, listen, this is God's posture towards you. He wants you to come back home. He's made all the arrangements for a huge party, a celebration just for you. And if you're disconnected from God, I want you to hear that you are the focus of God's attention, your heavenly Father's attention. You're the focus of your heavenly Father's affection. For a long time, he's been on a search and rescue mission for you. 
which is absolutely awesome. And Jesus said it plainly over in Luke chapter 19. He said, I've come to seek and save those who are lost, those who are disconnected, those who don't know what they believe, or even if they believe, I've come for them, Jesus says, and that means he's come for, for you. And if you come back to him, you won't find an angry God who has a list of all the bad things you've ever done to throw in your face. No, if you come home to God and you trust Christ for salvation, you'll find a loving father with his arms outstretched who says, I'm glad you're back. Let's not bring up the past, let's have a party. Let's have a party. Yeah, that's God's grace. Story done in there. It goes on to talk about the big party the father throws for his lost and found son. Goes on to talk about the angry older brother just like the angry religious leaders in the crowd that day and how the older brother resented his father lavishing all this love and attention on this no-account brother of his. And we see the father's compassion again as he pleads with the older son to come in and join the party. And the story ends with the father echoing the heart of the heavenly father and he says, it's fitting for us to celebrate and be glad for your brother was dead and is alive, and he was lost, and now he's, he's found the end. We're left hanging. We're left hanging. We don't know what the older brother does. We don't know if he came in and joined the party. We're just left hanging, and Jesus left it that way on purpose. What purpose? Because in that day, as in our day, we have to decide if the Father's heart for the lost will be our heart for the lost. We have to decide if Jesus' focus will be our focus, if his search and rescue mission will be our search and rescue mission. The question is, will Jesus' focus of attention be our focus of attention? Or I should say, will Jesus' focus of attention continue to be our focus of attention? Because by God's grace, this church founded in 1946 this church from its inception has maintained this focus on reaching lost people, on reaching broken people who are far from God, people who don't believe, don't know what they believe, used to believe, I believe, and I believe that's why, as I said, God has graced us with growth. Because from the beginning, this church has kept its focus on leading people to a saving knowledge of Jesus, growing them up to be disciples of Jesus, and then sending them out on mission with Jesus, which results in the whole cycle starting all over again. Walt Hanford was the pastor who was here for 32 years before I came. And this church, especially after Walt's grace awakening, he began to make changes to be the kind of church that unchurched people would feel welcomed and loved and cared for. Not changes in doctrine or belief, that's never changed since 1946, but under Walt's leadership, this church, in the so to speak, reinvented itself to be more like Jesus in order to draw more people to Jesus. And Walt made hard choices. He made difficult changes. He changes that cost people their reputations and cost people relationships. Changes that called people to make sacrifices, to build buildings and to move to new locations. Changes that created, these were changes though that created a church where lost, confused, broken, rule-bound 
people could experience the gospel of grace. And when I came here 27 years ago, I promised I would build on the grace foundation that Walt laid. And that's what we've been doing for all these years. And that's why we have grown. And that's why we have gone through name changes. And that's why we've gone through two building programs. And now a third one. Because we've continued to make Jesus' focus of attention on reaching the lost and discipling them and bringing them up in Christ, we've continued to hold that focus. And God is saying to us now, this building isn't big enough to do what I wanna do here. There are more people to reach, more people to disciple, more people to send out on mission. This past week also, I uh, heard a story that I think brings all this home for me. Um, there's these two guys, and they're in a coffee shop, a Starbucks somewhere in Texas. I know one of them personally. He's in full-time global mission ministry. He is meeting with this other guy who was going through Regen, and so uh, Jeff, the first guy, he uh, was his Regen mentor, and they were talk, They were drinking coffee, and they were talking about Jesus, and they were talking about all the good things that they saw God doing in their lives, and evidently, they talked for a good long while, and at some point, a young woman walked up to their table, and she didn't say anything. She just laid, it, laid a folded note on the table And this is what she said. She said, hi, I'm very shy, and I don't mean to bother you. I didn't intend to listen, but I couldn't help over here. Please keep doing your work for the broken. It must be hard and so much easier to focus on normal church people, but it's us who need you the most. The most broken people run from the church because we feel unaccepted. We feel how much work we are. We feel like burdens. We also feel like most people in the church want nothing to do with us because we might not live an ideal life. We may be strippers just trying to feed our kids and get through nursing school to give them a better life. We're hurting along with the whole world and sometimes though the TV and political Christians aren't what we think Jesus really wanted. We may have grown up in a church but felt pushed out when we had big questions that required perhaps uncomfortable answers and discussions. Please keep listening to the broken. They need you more than anyone. They need the church when they're on drugs. They need the church if they're gay. They need the church if they're homeless. They need the church if they're teen mothers. They need the church if they're prostitutes, and they need you. I'm sorry if this is weird. I have horrible anxiety, so I can't approach people with words. I can only write. Keep up the love, always. Always use love, because the broken have had enough hate. Just a broken mom trying to put it all back together. I am so grateful for you because you're the kind of people who will love a woman like that if she was to walk through our door. You're the kind of people who welcome and love and care for broken people like that. The very kind of people 
that were attracted to Jesus. And that's why I think that God has graced us with the opportunity to magnify his grace to Adamsville and other parts of the upstate. And that's the reason that we gotta be careful to maintain our focus, to seek and save those who are lost. And that's exactly what multiplying our community to reach our community is all about. Creating more space here, but even more, creating more spaces in other places in order to continue to be a part of Jesus' rescue mission in the world. And that's why we're asking you to pray. Pray and ask God what it means for you and your family to partner with him and with us in multiplying Jesus' search and rescue mission to other parts of our community. The Jesus on Display podcast is produced right here at Fellowship Greenville in Greenville, South Carolina. Thanks for listening to today's episode. Follow and share this podcast with anyone who might be interested or curious about our church community or how storytelling unites us and helps us feel more connected. To actively keep up with what's going on at our church community, head to our website at fellowshipgreenville.org. Follow us on all social media platforms and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Thanks for tuning in. Grace and peace to you for your week, and we'll see you next time.